Okay, welcome to another episode of The Illustrious Gentleman. The Illustrious Gentleman is a podcast hosted by myself, Ryan Cody, and my partner in comics, Scott Godleski. We get together each week, talk about comics, movies, TV, and work. We usually enjoy a drink or two while we do that. Uh, Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes number one is out this week. It's published by DC Comics, written by my, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, drawn by Scott and colored by me. So pick it up. Tell your pals, everyone within earshot, how much you love it, how much you love Scott's art, how much you love my colors. Uh, it's awesome. I want to do this more. So, uh, yeah, pick it up. Show some support. Uh, you can become a Patreon supporter of the podcast at patreon.com slash super 75 studios. You get early versions of each episode. Uh, plus much more, usually unedited versions of the episodes. And go to tigshow.com slash merch to pick up one of our new shirts, coasters, or stickers. And uh, tigshow.com is also the, the main website, and you can uh, figure out other ways to support us by going to that website. Um, so, yeah, Scott's off this week, and I miss him so much it hurts, but I'm happy to be joined by graphic designer, comic artist, and illustrator, Ryan Leiby. <laughs> Like, look how quick, look how efficient that is. <laughs> that is very efficient. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, the weather is beautiful. Can't, can't, can't beat this uh, great way to start a new year. Yeah, we are. Uh, all my windows, uh, for those of you who don't know Ryan or uh, barely know me, we're in the same city. We're about five miles apart. But yeah, I got all my windows open. It's like first week of January. It's probably in the low seventies. As much as I bitch about it still being in the hundreds in November, uh, low seventies in January is pretty nice. I get a little bit of amnesia. I think I, when this, when the heat hits, I can't even imagine that it gets this, this, uh, low. Yeah. I was, uh, telling my wife, I just noticed that there's a, there's a window in our apartment that I never moved the it looks into the neighbor's backyard, so I never even open it or anything. And not all the windows in this unit open, so I found another one that opened, so I'm super excited. I said, when it starts to, we can have all the windows open, we have another one to open. And I realized, like, that'll be between, like, the end of January and, like, March, and then it'll be too hot too to hot. open windows. It. Right. Sorry about that. Amateur hour. My phone rang. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, weather talks out of the way. Weather's nice. Uh, uh, so what are you drinking for the podcast I went, today? I went and picked up some uh, Tower Station, some IPA from Mother Road. That is a favorite on this podcast. Yeah, it's pricey, but I mean, special occasions like this. <laughs> yeah, special occasions. Yeah, I think that I think uh, Tower Station might be Scott's favorite kind of go-to IPA. Or maybe I'm thinking of my brother. Either way. It's a good IPA from the yeah. fine, fine, fine folks at Mother Road Brewing in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm surprised too because most local beers, I have a hard time. It's either uh, love it or hate it. It's got to be the water. I'm not sure, and I don't know if Flagstaff is known for having uh, particularly good water. I think they are. I, th we, I think we've disagreed on this in the past, oh, but I, maybe. I think the Flagstaff water is absolutely fantastic and amazing. <clears throat> But, I got the fluoride. I know it's probably good for your teeth. It's my number one concern. Just dental <laughs> health. Uh, all right. So you got so you got Mother Road. Uh, I think that's like a six point eight percent IPA, something like that. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, seven point three. 
Ooh, okay. Yeah, uh, seriously. All right. All right, I'm having something special. This was a gift from my studio mate, Jay Gonzo. Uh, he basically gave me this gift the day after I vented about adults giving other adults gifts for Christmas. I read that and one. How, and how I'm so against that and how I think it's ridiculous. The next day he brought me gifts. Um, so I don't know if he did it on purpose or what. But anyways, this is a, uh, a Gerwurztraminer Gerwurztraminer wine from France, Lucien Albrecht tradition, Alsace Gewurztraminer, G-E-W-U-R-Z-T-R-A-M-I-N-E-R. Okay. There's lots of, lots of uh, areas grow this, but this bottle is from France and uh, it's noted to have rich aroma of honey, red roses, tropical fruits and spices, and it's uh, 13.5%. Smells smells sweet. I like my sweet wines. I'm like a, I'm, it's like I'm still in. It's like I'm in high school drinking like Boone's Farm. I like my sweet. Is this a dessert wine then? Yes, it's a dessert wine. Oh, um, so a big glass of dessert wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, if my dinner if my dinner was a couple Miller Lights, then this is my dessert wine. Uh, but this is a very thoughtful gift from Gonzo. He he mentioned this. When he found out I started drinking wine a couple months ago, he told me about this type of wine that his uncle had always enjoyed. He thought I would like it, so he got me a bottle. Like, that's a thoughtful gift giver. We yeah. had a conversation, and then, like, four months later, you know, he, he 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 comes back to it. Like, my wife is a thoughtful gift giver in the same way. I am not. Like, I don't. That must be even more annoying to you as if an adult gives you a gift, and that adult happens to be very thoughtful at gift giving. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Like, because obviously I didn't get him anything because I'm against adults <laughs> giving other adults gifts. So, so yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, what if, what about at like birthday parties? Especially not birthday. Well, no, I don't know. I mean, if you go to someone's party, then you might get bring a bottle to share with everybody, or bring a, a nice six pack to share with everybody. Uh, but yeah, I don't understand the need for adults to give other adults gifts. I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Like, you know, if it's somebody's uh, birthday party, I will I'll, like hand draw a card. But even then, do you, do you think they want that though? Oh, you know what? I just do it for my own guilt not to show up without nothing but good intentions. Yeah, I yeah, definitely I do not want anything from anyone. I, no, unless it's something that's really expensive that I would want, and then. You could never accept a gift like that. So, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. If someone was going to buy me like a motorcycle, like that would be a gift I would love to get. But I could never, I would, you know, the, the amount of guilt over that is, uh, it's too much for my, my weak shoulders and my sad back. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You'd have to go shed a couple of tears while you're driving it down the road. <laughs> right. All right, so on first taste, this is pretty smooth and it almost has like a smokiness to it, which is it a cold? Maybe that's the, it's the spices. I don't know anything about wine. It is supposed to be served cold, mm. uh, but I always drink my wine cold because I'm a gentleman. Um, so yeah, so far so good. We'll see how I feel at the end of the bottle. But like I said, thirteen point five percent, a little heavier than most wines, but I'm, that's fine. I'm good with that. Um, 
Yeah, so I guess I guess got some questions. We were we were texting about stuff we can't talk about. So then I'm just gonna throw out some some getting to know you questions is what we're gonna do today. I guess that might be safer. Yeah, as it pertains, especially to comics and stuff like that. Uh, but at first, I did want to mention so so people who don't know you or don't haven't didn't uh, come out and see us at like Acme or anything like that, or haven't already heard the story that I tell every time the two of you you and I meet someone new is how I met you is basically. Uh, on some stranger's lawn <laughs> in the middle of an afternoon while I was getting beer and some uh, local band was playing in like a porch, like under an awning. The porch concerts. Yeah, the porch concerts. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about them. There's such a uh, yeah, there's secret of the probably get a Probably get a cease and desist. You know, yeah. they, they, probably, they probably trademarked porch concerts and we're already in violation right now. Yeah. But yeah, ba- basically, I went to to fill up a couple cups out of the keg, and uh, I come back, and my wife was talking to you, and so I assumed that someone intru- I, I know that someone introduced you to her, but then, long story short, we start shooting the shit, and then I find out from my wife, oh, he draws comics too, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, of course he draws. They everyone draws comics. Who does? Sure he does. Yeah, sure he does. Ryan. Whatever. Every Ryan in history of Ryan's draws comics too. That's right, but your name is unique enough that it's easy to Google you. So I googled you when I got home, and I told my wife, I was like, "I'm so glad that he's good because otherwise, you know, it's tough. You know, if if you sucked, it, it yeah, I don't know, I don't know if we'd be friends now if you were terrible. But you aren't terrible; you're really good. So it's it's funny when people introduce you to somebody and they're like they have a very similar hobby to you or they have a very similar uh, work to you. And you're like, oh, I, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for introducing yeah. me to somebody who's probably an asshole. Yeah, it's always like you, uh, you know, like if I'm at a at a place and like my aunt's there, she'll tell me about like her second nephew also draws comics and we should, I should give him a call. Oh man, you should just right out of the blue. <laughs> I think one of my second cousins is actually a pretty well-known like indie cartoonist. Oh, uh, that's really friend- cool though. Yeah, yeah. We're friends for friends on like Facebook. Uh, but yeah, it's just weird that what are the you know what are the odds that uh, that like two dudes who draw comics just m- meet in someone's front yard uh, randomly? I guess. I mean, it wasn't random. We know people in common, but still, it was fairly random. Y- you know. I had been I had gone through this really long dry spell of interacting with other creatives too. So it was really I feel fortunate to to meet you and then sort of uh, through you get plugged into this this society that that was just thriving, you know, just parallel to my own existence. So I feel really grateful for that too, honestly. Yeah, I like uh I like I like meeting new lo- local people that are like I said that are good or uh I mean, it sounds like an asshole when I keep saying like, oh, you're good or whatever, but you're, you're, you're easy to hang out with because a lot of people are good, but they might be eccentric or then there might be people that you love to hang out with, but then you're like, ah, like, uh, you know, you know, you're the, you're, you're the whole package, man. You're you're the package. I would love to be eccentric and (laughs) avant-garde and wear like asymmetrical glasses or something. That would just be, I just don't have the personality. I'd rather just hide. Hide away and draw. <laughs> yeah, I'm like an introvert who wants to be an extrovert, but I don't want people to like. I'm not gonna put. I'm not gonna peacock and put myself out there. 
Like, I want to be on the down low where everyone's like, yeah, man, that guy's cool as shit. You should get to know that guy. Yeah. But I don't want to I don't want to put any effort into those relationships or anything. I just want them to naturally evolve. I kind of like um, those artists that that adopt their per, their persona so, in, you know, fully that you never see an image of them outside of it. Like uh, that illustrator, Rock and Jelly Bean. Uh, any any photos of that guy he's wearing this <laughs> amazing luchador mask so you don't <laughs> you don't know who he is and he's really gregarious but i mean what's he look like i think that's kind of a cool way to do that without being seen yeah there's also a lot of work though that comes in that and like oh, putting man, on yeah. a, putting on a front like uh i would like to be able to put on a better front but then get like two or three beers in me then it's just me anyway. So I'm just, why, why uh, put up the farce in the first place? Uh, the closer I've gotten to 40, I realized that I'm not cool and no one's looking to me to be cool anymore. So it's really, you know, it's, uh, it's freeing. To just yeah. Yeah. I have it. found my, found my niche in middle-aged uh, mediocrity as far as comic <laughs> book artists go in the community. I'm fine with it. You know, I don't, I know, I don't need to, uh, I don't need to be a hip young thing anymore, which is impossible anyways, but I'm happy to be in my spot of where uh, I'm at. Yeah. Solidified. Yeah. There we go. Um, all right. So uh, as I met you, I mean, you're, you're, you're more than a comic book artist. Uh, I mean, I guess we all are, but uh, when I met you, it was comics about comics kind of. So why don't we talk about comics? Okay. Um, when were you into comics as a kid? Uh, how did you how did you discover comics? Oh man, I was, just, I was probably one of the last generations of being so fortunate to go to like a Walgreens or something as a kid, and there's they had comic books. You know, you can just go pick them up. So right, I was always aware of comics. Um, I think for me it was like a couple of Archie's uh, Ninja Turtle comics that just made me want to draw pictures so much that that uh yeah man i yeah i was involved in comics very early my first real collection started with a subscription to amazing spider-man that was done by mark bagley and i yeah just got that every week in the mail it's pretty awesome yeah i think uh i used to get subscriptions all the time when i was in california and then when I moved to Okinawa, you couldn't really get them. But uh, yeah, I remember as soon as I read like Excalibur number one, I got a subscription to it. It's just nice to get comics in the mail. You know, like it's just it's the subscription back in the day, having a subscription to your favorite comics was great. Oh, man. Uh, never it's had to worry about far. anything. Yeah. I mean, they'd come like bent and shit, but who cared? Uh, I you did know, not but, care either. Yeah. yeah. Man, I would just pull over that stuff. I remember my mom was always really kind of artistic. And so um, there was always that sort of push for it. You know, I'd get coloring pencils as gifts or sketchbooks. And I remember one time she's like, oh, you should show me how to draw. And I was like, okay, yeah, let me show you what I could do. And she was uh, drawing alongside and she had this comic book open, one of the, the, the Spider-Man I was telling you about. And she proceeded to draw from this panel that was so fucking good it just devastated me right there i knew i knew what it felt like to constantly struggle to be better than you wanted to be right at the beginning oh it's a good lesson to learn yeah, was, 
I think that's the only reason I pursued it. It was just I have to get there. <laughs> yeah, I never I never went as far as to trace comics, which I mean, if you're starting out, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I just never did it. But I would like try to copy a drawing. Yeah. You know? And I remember there's a Inferno issue of X Factor. And all those Inferno issues had these great double page spreads where it had all the characters' names and shit. And there was there were Walt Simonson drew one, and he had a great Iceman who uh, I've never understood the love for Iceman. I think he's super lame, but uh, Simonson's rendition, like kind of hard edge, like he was like he was carved from a block of oh, ice. Yeah, he had all the planes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember, I, I I looked at that and I drew one once, and it looked in my mind it looked just like his and i remember thinking like i got this shit like the only, <laughs> the, the only thing stopping me is that i'm like 12 you know other than that i'm well on my way you know i know it wasn't until i was in high school where i met the other only guy who i knew that drew comics and he was way better than me oh. that i was like oh shit like it, it's it's so easy hungry. to think it's easy to think you're great when there's nothing to compare you to you know, in real life, obviously, you look at a comic and you know you're not that good. But when I met a kid my age who could draw circles around me, uh, it was devastating. Oh, meeting the other drawing kid, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. when yeah. you met the other drawing kid in school, it was like this instant friendship formed on like one upshin upmanship. Mm -hmm. I gotta get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's like all that. Like that still. Man, I wish life was like that still. Yeah, but it's like, oh, the guy can draw like better bubble letters than me. So my whole day is fucking ruined now. You yeah. know? Like, <laughs> like that kind of shit. Uh, yeah, so so you're about the same age as Scott. And both of you really came in loving like the Ninja Turtles. And I've explained that like I'm since I'm older than you guys, I've never had any affinity for the Ninja Turtles other really? than. Other than I did go through a phase drawing them like kind of like Frank Miller would draw them. Like I went through a phase of like gritty Ninja Turtles yeah. where I would just draw them and I thought that was cool. But like the cartoon never did anything for me. I might have had one or two toys, but they were kind of like someone gave them to me. Um, but I just never I don't understand. I never understood the appeal of it. Uh, but maybe it's probably just an age thing. You know, it's just that those those few years make a difference. You know, age probably probably does play a bit into it because I went the whole nine yards, man. I had the toys and all this stuff, but I was talking about this. I don't remember who, but when you look at those uh, original black and white ones, they are not very good. And they, I think for me at that time, just seems so like approachable. The artwork was like, if you wanted to draw a Ninja Turtle, like, yeah, the, the standard was low. That I think the room yeah. for entry was just yeah, it made you feel good because you could look at your shitty drawing and be like, "That's pretty close, man." That's yeah, yeah. I think uh, once again to call it back to my my Gergerwitz Traminer source, uh, I think Gonzo has said the same thing to me. Like the the appeal to, of indie comics for a lot of people. Um, or maybe it was Scott. One of the others said the appeal of indie comics is it kind of looks like you could do it. Yeah. You know, you know, like like a Rick and Morty comic. I mean, people buy it because they're funny or I, I don't read them, but I assume they buy them because they're funny and shit. But also the artwork is good, but the artwork is not unattainable. It's not Jim Lee on X-Men. It's not, uh, you know, it's not like something that like you, you don't think you can ever do. Whereas I only grew up reading superhero comics. So I'm, yeah. I've always been disappointed in my own work. I've never been pleased with my own work because 
it doesn't look like Lee Weeks. It doesn't look like uh, you yeah, know Jim Lee, Lee in his Weeks. prime. It doesn't look like these guys that I obsess with. You know, it doesn't look like Chris Somney or whatever. You know, like there's a lot of guys who are in the Chris Somney style now that are popular, and I like all their work. But like my, I can never approach a level of storytelling that he has. Uh, but I could see if you grew up reading like real indie comics, kind of dirty bio comics or you know whatever autobiographical comics then yeah, you would see a style that you'd be like, oh, I enjoy this comic and I think I could draw like this. Yeah. Well, you know, for reading comics came a little bit late later for me. I feel like you have to read that one comic that makes you realize like, oh, this could be some literature at the same time. You know, and I think I read a lot of bubblegum stuff for a while where I was just sort of looking at the artwork. Um, there was a stage where I really... I feel like I'm constantly trying to learn how to draw constantly. And it got to a point where when I found Alex Toth, I realized that more lines meant so much, you know, less, you know, it's just right. like you know, they're covering up or like finding the edge or showing a shadow or uh, the rounded with more and more and more detail where this guy would just <laughs> strip it down to like three lines and kick your ass with a drawing. Uh it Oh man, it, yeah. I think that's when I started to evolve into looking at comic art as something that was way more than what anyone gave it credit for. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I'm immediately going to retract what I just said about like seeing art and always thinking like, oh, I don't think I could do that. Uh, I, I'm not going to say I, I can draw comics as well as this individual, but I got out of comics in the late 90s. And for a couple of years, I didn't read any comics. And I was just disillusioned. Like I would send in samples and it didn't look like Mark Silvestri or Jim Lee or whatever. But I just sent an email earlier this week uh, in response to an email to, to Brian Bendis. And I just let him know like, hey, I just want to let you know that Powers got me back into comics. You know, like I had been out for a couple of years and Powers got me back in. And part of the reason Powers got me back in is because I was like, oh, I love this comic. And this guy draws, Oming draws nothing like Jim Lee or nothing like Salvador La Roca or who the big superhero artists were when I stopped reading comics. Like it's a whole different style of comics I've never read. It's very indie based, but it's still a superhero comic. It's still a crime comic. It's still super cool. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess when I saw that, I was like, Oh, you don't have to draw like these guys to work in comics. And I'm not saying I, I thought I could reach that level, but I realized I don't have to be Jim Lee to get into comics. If that but, makes sense. But when we were collecting comics, you did. Yeah, up until I was like, yeah, up until I was like in my early 20s, everything was 90s comics, Jim Lee, Art T Bear. Like you said, lots of lines, lots of uh like a lots of smoke and mirrors. Um, but yeah, and I think in the early 2000s, you got books like uh like Powers or or the Batman Adventures comics, those were in the 90s, but Mike Paraback on those books or Bruce Tim style guys, you know, guys who grew up on Bruce Tim and guys who grew up on Toth, the Chris Somnies were starting to come out and, and the Evan Shaners and those dudes. And you realize like, oh shit, there's a whole new generation of guys coming up whose work doesn't seem it's, it's equally or possibly better than the work I used to love, but it seems more accessible, you know, like, right. like a Chris Somni page is, is beautiful but it seems and it's but it's easier to digest than like a Jim Lee page, which I also think is beautiful. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think if comics, if everyone now was drawn like Jim Lee, uh, I would I would never think that I could work in comics. 
you know. But you know the thing about comics is it's about a flow too and how you can read it. And those Jim Lee comics are beautiful, but I would rather just have each individual panel framed because they're just each panel is just so so awesome. I mean, he took shortcuts sometimes, but right as, as directing the flow of reading a story. You know, they were so much, they were so hard. I'd get caught up looking at the details that he would put on the gloves and Batman Hush. You right. know, like he was definitely loving the drawing so much that it was so much going on in each one. Yeah. Earlier, it's such an amazing you... skill to be able to convey a story with pictures and not noodle a picture to death in each panel. Yeah, that, that is a skill that not, not everyone has learned. Uh, the less is more. I mean, you've always hear, it's one of those things you hear and you give advice. Like if, if I'm at a con and someone get, asks for my advice, you know, I tell them like fundamentals, life drawing, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I also tell them like, keep it simple, less is more, blah, blah, blah. But that really comes to the forefront when you see guys who can do it as masterfully as, or, you know, when you read like a Sin City comic or whatever, like, oh, yeah. or early Hellboy, it's like, oh, 80% of the page is just solid black and, and it works no matter what, you know? Um, and I, st- I mean, I still use those cheats today. They're not nearly as good, but if I don't want to draw something, that shit's going in shadow, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, or, or I'm zooming in on something for dramatic effect, you know, and I've read reviews of my, my work, especially my earlier work, uh, whenever it would get reviewed, you know, they'd be like, oh, the way he frames these faces and shit just heighten the tension. And I'm like, oh, I just didn't want to draw. <laughs> like I didn't want to draw more than like half the face, you know, or, you know, like, uh. Well- the more you draw, too, the more you draw, the more you're setting yourself up for the critique of like, oh, I don't really, you know, the perspective, there's a tangent, there's, it's, it's the it's the riskiest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I hate the, the, the far away shots and shit like that, because it's like, there better be a fuckload of word balloons to fill this panel or else I'm screwed because it oh, just man. looks so empty. Uh, I got right. word balloons in right away. I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's balloons going to happen here. I want to know what I'm working in between. Yeah, it's funny. Like uh, working on the book I'm working on now, you know, Bendis is a lot like Claremont. So I was going to say when you said you first started reading serious comics, uh, I don't know if if Claremont X-Men is considered serious comics or whatever. But for me, a lot of times now as an adult, something will come up or I'll use a word or a phrase or whatever. And my wife, who's super well read and has like ten times more degrees than I do, she'll she'll make a comment like, "Oh, I, I how do you even know about that if you never read these books or whatever?" And I'm like, "Oh, I think I read it in a Chris Claremont X Men comic. Like he was using words that I would have to stop and look in the dictionary. Like what does this mean? <laughs> you know, like he was he was he just put so much on the page for you to digest. Uh, so that brings me back to like right now, Bendis use Bendis has a lot of talking going on." And I don't think I don't think anyone would get upset if I said that. There's a lot of word balloons in a Bendis comic, especially in a Bendis superhero comic with thirty something characters. So there's a lot of times I've been I was coloring the first issue of Justice League, and I was like, I, I imagine forty percent of this page is going to be covered by word balloons, you know. So I was like, I wish we I wish our system worked to where uh, it it went to word. I guess I'm just being selfish, but I wish it was lettered before I colored it. Yeah, you know. You know, that's like, every designer's wish, I think, is to know, like, what are the parameters? Right. Or what? Oh, yeah. So much of a creative request is always like, produce this, right? Well, let me know 
the box first. Right. Yeah. yeah it's uh, yeah. Like I, you know, in my head, I can, I can picture where all the balloons are going to go, but I still have to color the whole page. Yeah. You know, and I, and I get it. There's probably, re- you know, translations, the balloons get moved around. Everything's different now because it's digital. Um, and I get that, but uh, yeah, selfishly, it would make my job a lot easier if, you know, I didn't have to color that extra 40% of the page. Um, so, okay. Other than like, uh, other than like Ninja Turtles and shit and Archie, which I'm sure you grew out of pretty quickly. Uh, what else were you into? Like, have you, or, or here's another question. Have you always been into comics or did you lapse and come back or? You, you know, know? I, I went through a huge skateboarding part of my life where um, the artwork I did was sort of in between uh, skate sessions and comic books were mentioned, but not so much collected during those times. Um, and I came back into comics pretty hard when I went to art school, which I did late in life. Um, so I must have been early 20s when I went to art school. And so I went and started looking at the artists and storytellers that I saw as inspirational. And at that point, I think when I think that's when my my uh, aesthetics matured. And I I really like Rick Remender for his writing. I really like how he likes uh, Mark Twain so much. I I read some Mark Twain in college and, you know, resonates really well. So uh, the Fear Agent, uh, the whole saga is just, man, it's so cool. It's so good. If you if you haven't read it, it's, I, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I love the artwork within it. That's Tony Moore, and sometimes Jerome Pena. So it's two really like some of my favorites still to this day. They're they're both. And I guess I stuck stuck with indie for for the most of the time. Yeah, superheroes. They keep getting regurgitated so many times. It's kind of hard to. To keep coming back in and they're like now it's the origins again of wolverine or now it's the it's like somebody dies and right. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy to me um I, I think it's so powerful when a story has the audacity to end yeah i i, I think uh continuity is a major downfall to modern comics you know like uh like i would love it if every x-men book was a six issue finite story you know you know or everything's kind of like hellboy everything's a miniseries everything's done you can refer back to it but you're not like buried in continuity uh yeah because even right now like i i love the current uh artist on x-men but you know you know he does a couple issues does something else does some couple issues does something else it's going to be rebooted there's another like uh an acronym going on or another fucking like uh subtitle going on like I both missed the days of just picking up the next issue of Uncanny X-Men like I had done the previous 40. But then I also am a am a belie- believer in the fact that like story should dictate everything, not continuity. Right. Uh, so uh, I guess I'm the worst kind of guy because I just want both. I want my cake and I want to eat it. I want my bottle of wine and I want to drink it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I there's just so much too. There's just so much good stuff out there. It's really hard to 
to be a purist about anything. Yeah, the first convention I ever did, uh, I've told this story on this podcast multiple times, but the first convention I ever did, I stepped, I slept in the garage slash basement of a dude in Texas. All the single people slept in the garage and the married couples slept in the guest areas upstairs. But to- that's where I first met Tony Moore, him and him and his wife. Uh, stayed upstairs. Him and Kara stayed upstairs, and uh, he had, he was just starting Fear Agent. And everyone in our group, like I didn't know, I didn't know a lot about Image Comics at that point. Other than, I mean, I knew Image Comics, but I didn't know the current state of Image Comics, right? So we're there, and everyone's like treating this guy Tony like he's a big deal, right? And I have no idea who Tony is, other than I just met him. And uh, and then it wasn't until I got home and I like Googled him. Cause I don't even think I had a smartphone back then. 2005 so he was doing whatever. walking dead or he had already done walking dead and he was starting on fear agent. Ugh. And so everyone at this con, I was at just flocked to the table that he was, he was being fawned upon. And in my little mind of not knowing anything, you know, before you could Google shit on your phone and stuff, it wasn't until I came home. I'm like, Oh, he co-created the walking dead, which I had vaguely heard of. Uh, but yeah, he was just starting fear, fear agent when I met him basically. Uh, and I'm, I've, I think I've read the first trade, but I've never kind of, I've never stayed in that universe. Um, but it's something I feel like I can go back to at any point. No, yeah, you definitely can. Yeah, it's such a depth in the story that uh, it gives you, like you said, it gives you your cake or it gives you that really sugar rush right at the beginning. And then as you get into it, you, you know, you grow with the character development. You realize like, oh, there's a lot more backstory in there. So it's it sets you up right away with uh, an alien exterminator who's a drunk. He's a Texan. The big bubble dome. Yeah, uh, classic. And yeah, the 50s style rockets. And and then, yeah, the depravity starts to set in. And it's, it's a good read. All right. So it... it like you, when I went to art school, I went in my early twenties and that's when I got back into comics. Uh, but so, but what made you, was there, was there a certain book or a certain time in your life where you're like, I think I want to pursue this. Like, uh, I think this is something I want to make a go at. Man, actually (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't anything inspirational other than the lack that the community that I lived had nothing to offer unless I wanted to to either uh, be in construction or join the military right, or work in restaurants or balance between, you know, you know, it was just, it was kind of a scary time. And uh, I think my mom was suggested going to art school and it just, just seems so impractical, but I sent out a couple submissions and I think the majority of the people are like, Oh, this guy's going to take out some loans. So they tell you what you want to hear. And I jumped into art school and I'm kind of a stubborn person. So I, I stuck it out, which was foolish of me. I give much different advice than, (laughs) than the things that I did. But, um, uh, Yeah, I guess I was kind of all over the place. I went to school for animation. I thought I was going to draw animation, same. 2D animation too. Yeah, They same. tried to get me into 3D. And it was like, you know, at first people were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I want to tell stories and I want to 
create worlds and I want to, you know, do all this stuff. And I had seen some cutscenes in between um, video games and video games. I had seen the cutscenes. I'm like, yeah, this is maybe I want to make video games. Maybe I want to do this stuff. And I think the person that did get me in was smart enough to know that 2D animation would would be something I was interested in. Yeah, I had a very similar, almost very similar exact same things. Like, what am I going to do? You know, I don't have, I didn't go to a, I didn't go to real college after high school. I was a C student in high school, you know, like, uh, and it was my wife at the time just being like, well, you're only getting older. So you should just go to, you should go to art school and see what happens. Right. But so it was the same thing. You, I, I, I wrote an essay, I provided some samples and they couldn't wait to let everybody in that wanted to go there because, <laughs> because it's like at that point it was like three times as much as a regular university, you know, like art institute, art institute of Arizona. It was just like all art institutes nationally, oh. just cash and checks, taking names. So it was super easy to get in. Um, and I'm sure you went through the same experience where, oh, and I also wanted, uh, they told you, what do you want to major in? And I said, 2D animation. And they said, we don't have that. We have a 3D animation degree, but you'll take all the 2D classes. Oh. So so my associate's degree, because of course I couldn't commit to four years. My associate's degree was, uh, my 18 month program was in 3D animation. But uh, it was the same thing. Like you get, they get you in there quick because they want you on the enrollment. They want your money. And then also, I don't know if it was the same for you, but I assume it was. You realize, I was realizing I'm not very good and I'm in the 90th percentile of people I'm in classes with, you know, like, so like I, so you might've gone to a better school, but I even had like teachers that once they saw me do like a couple sketches, they were just like, you'll get an A man. Just like, don't worry about like, like, like I had one teacher tell me like, this class is not for you. Like you could teach this class. Oh, wow. So just. So just do whatever you want to do all semester. And as long as you just show up, I'll give you the A. And him and I would go get That was my friend in the school I went to. He was phenomenal. Is phenomenal. It's it's troubling because when he picks up a pencil, I feel like he projects something onto the paper. And then he just is drawing. I don't know how he does it because all of his stuff is super cool. And it's frustrating. And I get mad at him. But he was that guy at school where he would come in and the teachers would assign him homework and um, he would turn his in and it would be better than anything that they could do. So at that point uh, they would almost defer to him and whenever they're talking about something, they're like, well, no, no, that's just me. What, what does this guy want to say about right. that? <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is I know I wasn't very good. So everyone else was terrible. I mean, there were people in my, some of my animation classes who could barely draw stick figures. They just wanted to draw. I, so yeah. there was no, there's no prerequisite to get into these classes. At least the I school I went to. I was self-taught up to that point, you know, and it was one of those things where I just start in one area of the page and just go, you know, so anatomy, proportion, all that stuff. No way. Was I hitting that stuff? It was just, it was more, I guess you would call that fine art. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> sure. sure. Um, you're either really good at painting or you're terrible at painting. And you're just going to double down on what makes you unique. Yeah, like, uh, fine artist. I don't know if you ever saw these because, again, the age difference, but there were those uh, 
those how to draw comic videos. Stan Lee did them when they were VHS, right? Yeah. So the first time I ever saw like how to lay out figures, and construct figures was the Rob Liefeld one, right? So oh, that's kind of to this day, that's kind of how I block out my layouts, right? Is super square, super blocky. I know he didn't invent it. I'm just saying sometimes I do layouts and I'm like, oh, that looks like a Rob Liefeld layout, you know, like I'm into it. And then uh later later on, I got how to draw comics the Marvel way, same block construction, you know, usually. So when I was doing my first uh life drawing class, and you and we we're doing like 15 second gestures and like 30 second gestures. I just fell back on how to construct comics that way. And I remember my instructor was like, you are levels above what everyone else is doing. <laughs> like right now, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, and then we're supposed to have, because part of our homework for the semester was to go draw from life outside of class. And I never did that. So the night before the final, where he would look at your portfolio, I just filled pages with gesture drawing. You know, and he that I would do for comics, you know, and he was like, he was like, these are amazing. Like another thing. And and again, I'm this is a, this is a knock on the art institutes, not a not I'm trying to hype myself up. This is how bad those schools were. He looked at like two pages of my like 15 page portfolio and he closed it. And he's like, you got an A like they just didn't. They either didn't want to be there or they didn't want to waste their time on someone that they thought would be fine without like they didn't need like I was. I was past maybe what they were going to teach that semester or what they were willing to teach me that semester, I think is the bigger thing. Um, Cause they always talk to the lowest common denominator. You know, right. I don't know about, I don't know about your art school, but my, everything I ever, every art class I ever went to was just catered to the one guy who just couldn't get his shit together and was terrible. Wow. You know, you just repeat lessons for that guy. You do basic shit for that guy. Um, I mean, I learned a lot in art school, but it was also kind of a waste of time at the same time. Um, but yeah, comics again, language and life drawing. Uh, uh, Rob Liefeld and Chris Claremont told me everything I needed. I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. You were sharing the wisdom when you were there, yeah. spreading the gospel of the Liefeld. Uh, it must have, you know, it must have been locality for me because Portland. I went to Portland, Oregon. I, I was I was fortunate enough to get outside of Arizona for for four years of my life. And see a, a different perspective, and I chose Portland. So <laughs> take that for what it's worth. But the artists that were there, were, the majority of them, while I was there, were were people working in the industry. I had a a flash animation teacher that was doing background stuff for The Simpsons. Uh, Will Vinton, the guy who coined the term claymation, who came up with the California raisins and and a lot of those Christmas specials and that Mark Twain thing. He was the resident artist and he'd walk around the halls and try to like recruit people to help him produce something. Right. Um, and then there was just uh, some really talented people. Um, and our Dean was like, uh, I think an art director on the Animaniacs, you know? So there was some, there was some talent there. And I learned a lot. And the thing I learned the most there was that I sucked, but I didn't suck the most. I sucked like third tier suck. And so I felt like I could climb and I was very invested in getting better. You know? Right. Yeah. It sounds like your, your, your art Institute might've been headed up mostly by animation people. Yeah. Uh, mine was headed up almost all by like kind of fine art people. Oh. Graphic, 
graphic design, fine art, that kind of shit. So, or I think I think at that time maybe Phoenix was also leaning heavily into the video production part of it. So there might have been a lot of that, but like the animation to me always seemed to get kind of downplay the animation department like it was oh. just like not their priority uh yeah, the one here also had a culinary school and that was huge so i just think like we were always like like just take these kids money and shit them out yeah there was no there's no animation um uh industry in arizona like right. when i got when i when they recruited me or slash let me in uh they told me you know fox studios they just made uh uh what they just made uh that atlantis movie right that was yeah. made in arizona so they're like hyped on that. And they're like, so yeah, our, our top like 3% almost all go over to Fox immediately after graduation. And so, or maybe, a, oh, sorry, Sony Animation. So you go over to Sony Animation right after graduation if you're in the top 3%. And then by my second semester, one of my teachers was a laid off, you know, they were doing animation at Sony, got laid off, and then they're taking this job. And by the time I graduated, uh, Sony had left, Fox had left. So there was no shit, you know, it was basically like, Hey, you want to come to Arizona? You might, you might be able to get a job storyboarding paying minimum wage. So move your, at that point I had two kids. So move your whole family out to Southern California for like a $30,000 a year job that <sighs> in California money, that that's too. yeah. So it's like, I went at the wrong time. You know, I don't, I don't advocate art school for anybody. No. But if you're gonna if you're gonna make that mistake, make that mistake before you have a wife and kids. Yeah. So so that you can then follow up on that mistake and move to Southern California or wherever you want to work. You, uh, you know the the real secret to breaking it into any sort of art field is find another person who's doing it and become friends with that person because there's no other there's there's no other avenue really. I feel like you could be extremely good. And, you know, and still not ever meet the right person, then who cares? Yeah, networking is more important than anything. I mean, I was yeah. joking. To, I was joking to somebody uh, who's like congratulating me on getting this, on coloring this DC book, and I remember just saying like, "Oh, well, I've been, I've been buttering up to Scott for a decade, you know, for like twelve years. You know, I put in my time to to yeah. become his, to become his colorist. Uh, yeah, so it's a lot of it's networking. A lot of it is just." Just don't be an asshole. And we talk about this all the time. Don't be an asshole. Uh, and I understand that, especially in the arts, I hate that term, but in, in the arts, uh, you get a lot of people with like, who are like shy or anxious or have anxiety or whatever. Uh, you got to be able to deal with that a little bit in public. Overcome situations. that shit, man. Overcome it. If, if you, you force it, if you have to create a, create a persona, create a bark on persona, uh, not one that molests women or anything, but one that's just fun <laughs> to be around. You know, one that's fun to be around and one that is uh, willing to uh, stay the course. You know, like if there's a writer who's out with your group and just just don't don't be uh, don't be offensive and don't be don't be bothersome, but just be around and be and known to be a guy who does work, does quality work. Doesn't have to be the best work. Just has to be good work on time, on time, good to work with. And don't have any stories of you like fucking puking in someone's, you know, bed or something like that at a con. You know, yeah. try to keep keep that shit to your own hotel room. I think there's this, there's a, a level too, like that you that you said was committed. I, I think that stands really tall is that you're striving. You know, I don't yeah, know. Well, there's there's like so much punishment 
in drawing all by itself that you kind of have to be a little bit of a masochist and want to do it. Yeah, I was uh, telling uh, Gonzo the other day, this is becoming the Gonzo Mentions podcast, uh, but I was telling him the other day, like, I hope I can just color after this next year, like, drawing comics and trying to get gigs drawing comics is a grind. It's a grind and it's a grind doing the work because I've never, I don't think I've ever really loved it. I've never, since I was like a teenager and it was just fun to just tell the story. Uh, But like, I don't, I'm not so in love with it that it's something I have to do. So if I'm going to grind on getting work, I want to grind on getting work as a colorist because I can do more work in less time. You know, like uh, my ceiling is better as a colorist, uh, I think. And I'm fine. I'm happy with that. Trust me. I have no love loss for, you know, thinking I'm going to be some great penciler or something like that. Um, I forgot. The, oh, commitment. So, yeah. So, like, I'm uh, I'm going to commit myself to doing good work, being easy to work with, being on time, being reliable, rather than there are some guys who are just like, well, fuck deadlines. I'm going to give them work that's going to blow their mind. Yeah. And those are guys. There are guys that can exist like that. They're, they're called Adam Hughes. There are guys that can do that. But uh, I'm happy being one of the guys who can just uh, be reliable and be on time and and constantly get work. Like, like if I was around in the '60s, I would be a bullpen guy yeah. at Marvel, and I would be happy to be a bullpen guy. Oh, I think that would be super exciting. Yeah, there's no weight on your shoulders. Just do good work. You know, it's almost like it's almost like you want to. It's almost yeah, you want to do good work without really. I'm not saying I don't want to stand out because I do want to be requested to work with other artists and stuff like that, but I don't need to be like, I don't need to be, to be like, uh, you know, the next Dave Stewart, you know, I'm fine with just being the dude who gets two monthlies a year, two monthlies a month, you know, every year. I want to be that guy. There, there is a, like, there is that aspect. So much of that aspect, they're like, <clears throat> I'm going to become famous or I'm going to be a rock star of, of comic book art or, yeah, and yeah, if you're just going to, that means you have to step it up every single time. Oh man, it's got to be the hardest thing to be Stan Lee sometimes, or or Jim Lee sometimes, where you're just, everything has to be super good or detailed, or you have to get all the chest hair in there. Or, you know, once you start becoming synonymous with the look of your art, that means everything you do has to be that. Oh, yeah, you can't really break out of it for like Frank Cho. You're like this, maybe maybe that guy can't break out of that anyway. But to become known for a look, I I don't know if I'm that consistent. Sometimes, you know, when they say you got to find your style, I, I I used to try to figure out what that meant, and I remember asking for a. Uh, I remember asking a teacher if he would validate me for uh, a licensing deal through uh, an agency. And he took a look at my work and he's like, you need to pick a style. You're all over the place. You should should take a class on illustration. I'm like, I'm not going to take a class on illustration. What does that mean a style? And so I started looking at it. I was like, oh, what should I do? What should my style be? Should my lines all curve a certain way or? But to become synonymous for a look, maybe that's something that you can do and you can produce all the time. But I feel like for me personally, that would all of a sudden become very 
a trying, you know? Okay, so... consistent would be better. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, there's a... I was going to say there's a famous story, but I think I'm the only one that ever... I'm the guy I know that repeats it, so I don't know if it gets repeated in other circles, but I think it was like uh, Bernard Chang back in the heyday of comics. And again, apologies to everyone that I'm about to mention by name. This was only Bernard Chang, so apologies to him. But the, the rumor I heard was he drew Dr. Mirage number one for Valiant in like 1992 or whatever, or 94, probably 94. And uh, it sold like well over a million copies. And, you know, he, he got everyone got royalties at that point, like good royalties. So I remember like number two never coming out. And then like it was like long before anything else was followed up. And the thing is, like he took the money he made from drawing the first one and then just lived off it and practiced his craft. And then he comes back and he's like, he's like an amazing artist. So it's like, like he's, he's doing what you kind of what you just mentioned. Like, it's so hard to just, it's so hard if you're working in as, as an artist, it's easy as if you're a hobbyist artist, which I don't mean that in a bad way, but if you have a good job and you can just draw on the side, you might have the best of both worlds. Cause you can experiment and take your time and, you know, you don't have a daily deadline or you don't have a weekly deadline. And there's a joy in that, that there there's not in, in deadline based freelance work. Um, but yeah, I always love that story that he would just like pieced out for a couple months and like just drew for himself. There was a, there's an artist, uh, Dave Raposa. Uh, you, you might've, you know, encountered him on social media. He's pretty, he's pretty popular, but at one point he did the same thing where he was looking at his work and he was like, I'm compensating with all this rendering. And then he kind of like rented a cabin in the middle of the woods and just went and learned how to draw and came back. And I mean, kind of picked up where he left off. Honestly, he's quite good. Yeah. Or also good. Yeah. Also like a Dan Panosian who in the nineties, yeah, everyone was like, ah, Jesus. But then when you talk to him, he's like, He's like, I was fucking like 17 and I was told to draw this way. Cause I remember when I remet, re- became reacquainted with his work in the early 2000s, I was like, this can't be the same fucking dude. Yeah. But, but then I've, I've met him and I've, I've, I've actually done like, uh, I've done some, like he's hired me to color stuff for like, like toy shit, stuff like that. So we've, we've gone back and forth a few times over the years. And, uh, yeah, he basically just said, like, I was paid to draw this way. I could have always drawn another way, but this is where the money was. And then I also realized like, oh shit, you're like three years older than me. Like when I was, when I was bitching or like, uh, like Marat, like I know Marat Michaels now, but I remember when I got brigade number one and Marat drew it, I was like, this isn't Rob. But now that I know Marat, I realize when I was 16 being like, fuck, this isn't Rob. Marat, <laughs> Marat was 17 drawing that. He's a year older than me, you know, or something like that. Drawing that comic probably being like, he probably felt the way I felt, except he was getting paid a lot of money to draw that comic. A lot of money. Yeah. And so as a, as a much older man now, like looking back, I'm like, Oh, I was, I feel bad for my younger self who was so naive and saying like, first of all, this isn't as good as Rob Liefeld, which that's a different podcast. And I will, I will fight to the death for Rob. But for me to be like, Oh, this competent artist who's who I, I didn't know at the time is getting paid very well to draw this comic I'm just mad because it's not Rob and I'm going to go fucking pout or, you know, I learned later that, oh, this guy could have been better, but he was making a lot of money drawing this way in the nineties. You know, it's so, it's so ridiculous. The, when you're a kid, you almost want to be that famous guy or you want to be the guy who 
is only known for their best work. But trust me, man, when you're a 46-year-old fucking dude just breaking into mainstream coloring, you are thrilled to just get the work, get the check, get, you know, do good work, work with good people. Um, yeah, there's no shine on it for me anymore. No, but there's I'm no okay. shine. I think as but soon I'm as okay you get rid that. of the shine, it, it feels so much better. Mm-hmm. Once you get rid of it, just kick that right off. <clears throat> I agree. All right. So uh, your your job right now currently is your uh, senior graphic designer. Um, so what is it, how do you approach that different than comics or illustration? What is your... So just like if you had worked, if you work for a big publisher, an editor tells you this is what we want and your goal is to meet that while trying to do it as artistically as possible. It's the same thing for you. You're kind of just doing, you know, you have more typography, I guess, and you have other elements right now, but you still have to try to, someone, someone who can't do your job is trying to tell you what they want and your goal is to meet that, whatever they have in their brain, right? Whatever. Man, it's so interesting because so much of that is emotion that you're trying to interpret from the person requesting whatever this is, is if it's going to be packaging or if it's going to be promotional material, or if I'm going to direct a video or, you know, and what I'm learning more and more is that they'll use a set of terms and it'll be consistent and it'll be less, less, as in synonyms, more like when they start talking about the light, and they'll bring it up a couple of times. They're like, okay, okay. So whatever this is needs to be warm. It's a warm light. I just, I think you're trying to produce something that doesn't make them have to imagine anything. First of all, never give yeah. them anything that you're asking them to imagine something. Imagine if this, that's out, you're done already. Give them something that is so close to being done that it could go out right now. Oh, it is the hardest job in the world, I feel like, sometimes, trying to give somebody what they want. And that's what I get asked for all the time. It's like, I want something like this. And it's an emotion. It's like being asked to create a logo almost every day. And I hate logos so much. I hate logos. If anybody... Yeah ever ask me for a logo the first thing i tell them is no it's the worst thing ever first thing i tell them is no and then i slam the door in their face uh yeah it is like uh especially coming up through indie comics like every book uh every book that i drew before i was hired to do stuff well not even that like every book i drew that before like dynamite when i worked on the phantom uh, it was just assumed I was going to also design the logo of the comic and like uh trade dress, you know, like, you know, my very first comic, I designed like the trade dress. I did the logo. They had a designer there that would then like, I would work with him, but there's also been other gigs where I haven't, like, I have to ask, like, what do you think the spine width is going to be? So I can make the right file for the spine or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's like it's 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 that it's a one like you're being asked to do, uh, you're a one stop shop, you know. They're coming to you with like a fucking a thought balloon of an idea, and then they want you to realize that idea. Uh, that's what I didn't love about working in indie comics. Like a lot of guys would love the freedom. I can set the 
design. I can set the way this world looks. I can set all that. Uh, there's a part of me that likes doing that, but then there's also a part of me that maybe there's, maybe it's like a masochistic thing, but there's a part of me that likes just being told what to do and get the job done. You know, I don't mind that one bit. You know, you know, cause what it is, is that you put a lot of time into something and you'll present it. And the reaction is like, this is awesome. What if we changed everything about it? And you're like, oh, that is, it's, it's like a gut punch. Right. I wish there was these moments in those conversations where I'd be like, okay. And then I could walk around the block and then come back better composed. But it's those things where you just have to like, all right. Yeah. Working um, in-house has, has these sort of benefits of, you know, you get stable pay, you get a salary, uh, Man, I get amazing benefits. I get p unlimited PTO. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I really struggle with getting excited about projects and realizing <clears throat> that what I like is probably not going to go. And that I might have to do something that is completely outside of what I consider aesthetically pleasing and then produce that and that can right. be that's kind of that's kind of hard sometimes for me because i want to do something cool or i feel like i have a better understanding of how how a design might hit in an industry i would love yeah. to be creative director and then take anything that didn't fly on the chin just come to me if you're if you're too afraid right. that's okay let me put this cool stuff out there i guarantee you people are going to love it I think what happens most of the time is that you present something. I present something. And for me, they're safe and then they're slightly skewed. And I want to skew the hell out of it. Right. Just so it becomes different from what you see. Because everything is so straight and perfect and clean. And I want to, ah, man, I just want to make it uncomfortable enough that when the people look at it enough to want to complain, they still can't stop looking at it. See, if I was, uh, uh, well, I just in any, in any industry, I've seen your sketchbooks. Like you should just be able to photograph something in your sketchbook and just throw a logo on it. You know, like, uh, I don't think corporate, uh, corporate, even corporate comics, corporate, anything. I don't think they understand the power and the emotion of the early stages of the work, the layouts, oh. the sketches, the, and I'm terrible. I don't, I never sketch. But a lot of times my layouts, by the time I tighten them up and ink them, I hate that drawing by the time I'm at that point. And then knowing me, I still have to color it. So, you know, like it's part of the reason I'm tired of doing the whole thing, right? Because I'm doing four or five steps, seeing the same panel over and over again. Uh, but yeah, that was also in one of those videos, the Stan Lee hosted videos. Uh, someone mentioned like, you're never, it's never going to be as creative or energetic as it is in that first yeah, like, this is it. Like this layout, this sketch, you know, th that's that's the power. Everything else is how much if that's a hundred percent magic when it's finished and printed, we hope it retains 20% of that magic. Yeah, you know, it's about stripping away as little magic as possible. That's pretty amazing. I mean, I've been I've been working with this videographer trying to come up with um, a video representation of some of these ideas that we'd have for marketing, and uh we sort of 
came together in this moment where we're shooting this video that was pretty much already late. So we had to bypass the approval process, which was kind of fun. Um, and we're working on it. He was telling me, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually wouldn't let anybody hang out with me during this particular part of the move of the, of the shooting. But since I had some insight into what I wanted directing this thing, he's like, I had to let you. And I'm glad because you kind of understand where we're going. And I was like, you know, for me, I feel like this is the oh shit moment in every type of creation is that it has all the potential and you're trying to wrangle some of that in there to right. present. And I think it will look good to those who don't see where it could have been. Cause there's that moment in a rough sketch or a thumbnail or, you know, an idea where it could be amazingly good and it probably won't be at the end, but it has that, all that potential in the world to hit the mark. Right. And that's a very scary place to be. And I think yeah. as a, as a designer, as a, as a, as an artist, as a, you have to live in that realm a lot. And it's, for me, it gives me anxiety and it was really comforting to see this other guy going through this anxiety and be like, no, man, this is it. Right. But for a client, you can't expect them to sit in that moment comfortably. Right. And I think yeah. for me, I'm learning a lot to not put people in that oh shit moment that as a designer, I have become accustomed to. I mean, that's what you end up doing. And I think Scotty or anybody that picks up a pencil to make a comic is there is this moment where like, do I remember how to do this? Is this going to work out okay? Is uh, Are people going to like this? And then at the end, it is what it is. And people appreciate it because they just see it. And you, maybe you focus on all the mistakes because in that one particular moment, it could have been the best thing you've ever created. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I just went through this moment this week. I was coloring, and it seems weird because it's just one issue to another issue. But like, I was so when I started working on Justice League, I'm so kind of caught up in like I want to make it slightly different, and I want to believe that's why they hired me over established guy. You know, so I brought something different to the table, but I can't go so left field, you know, to where like it, like people who have been reading these comics for a decade are like, what the fuck is this? So I, I see myself now, now that the first issue comes out in a couple of days as we record this, uh, like I look at myself now, I'm like, oh man, I wish I didn't do that. Like, I wish I could still go back, you know, like I, I, I don't, I would like to be able to take a week before the trade is released. So next summer and just ask my uh, editors, can I just get a week to go through start to finish page one to page one thirty or whatever? Can I just take a week? and make tweaks and re-upload. I mean, the, the answer is probably no, because that shit's lettered and we're done with that. But uh, it, that's something I struggle with is like, uh, what did I, did I do something different on this? I wouldn't normally have done because I was, my head was in the, it was racing about what expectations were as opposed to what I think is the best storytelling decision, as opposed to what my editors think is the best storytelling decision. Like to my, to my credit, to my editor's credit, I don't get a lot of notes, you know, almost no notes. So maybe they must like what I'm doing. So maybe if I had pushed it, I would get more feedback. Or maybe if I had pushed it, I would get no feedback and it would be more quote unquote, quote unquote, me, which I hate. I hate what I just said, all of it. 
but you know what I mean? Like, I like it's, you. It's, no, I feel you, man. I feel you. It's now it's, it's this desire to leave a mark, but at the same time, put a smile on somebody's face, specifically this person that <laughs> means the most to right, put a the, smile the, on that person's face. Right. Cause that person's smile is going to, is attached to the hand. Right. It also signs the checks and shit like right. that. So yeah, I get that. All right. Uh, so as we're wrapping up, why don't you tell me? So, cause you're also like, I, I don't know. Again, I just see your illustrations and, and I look through your sketchbook whenever we see each other. Like I'm, I also think you're a great illustrator. So I was wondering if there's any kind of creators or artists you're into now that maybe I or listener doesn't know about that you can turn us on to. Um, like oh, I, I, I love discovering new artists, but it's also uh, an anxiety thing for me as well. Cause if they make comics, you know, like there's like, I'm finally getting to do what I wanted. I, I love coloring comics. It's what I, it's, it's what I love doing more than anything else. And I'm finally getting to do that more, but there's also like dudes coming up, dude and dudettes. Uh, it's a gender neutral term. They're coming up and they can color, they color at a whole different, you know, it's like the way I can't cop, I can't like wrap my head around like uh, trying to think of like some wonderkin artist that's out like a James Heron. I could never wrap my head around how when James Heron was coming up, how he drew so different from everybody. His his influence weren't obvious the way everyone else's are. And now he has people fought, like trying to draw like him. There's also a level of colorists coming out now that are so far beyond what I think I can even. Like I should be like I can't I can't always look at a comic and be like how did they color that like I can't reverse engineer everything, and that terrifies me. So I'm both happy to meet, to discover new people, but also I'm I'm happy to not discover new people that are going to make me feel bad about myself. You know, you know, man, that that's a really salient point that I've kind of encountered recently too. Is this sort of encountering younger people that that are just killing it. Um. But I think also if you look at their the accessibility to information, yeah, your accessibility to um, just the how tos that I did not get, yeah, you know, even you you would have the book like learn to draw the Marvel way, <laughs> they skipped over a lot of stuff really. They're like, yeah, first of all, yeah. draw for most of your life and get really good, and then make this book on how to draw. Yeah, I don't want to, let me cut you off for one second. He just triggered a memory. Is a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was sent a YouTube uh, or not a YouTube, Jesus Christ, Facebook message from someone, and my nephew was drawing. Um, my best friend's son was drawing, he's six. He was drawing a Deadpool from watching a YouTube video on how to draw a Deadpool. So it's basically like draw this drawing I did of Deadpool, but the artist walked him through it, and it was at six, he was as good as I was at 15. Yeah. So, so to your point, yeah, like they, you could just kids these days, everything. Like my dad, who's in his seventies, if we're working on a car, he'll be like, "Pull up a YouTube video. That guy will show you how to do it." Like we, like things are so. Everything's like the matrix. Yeah. yeah, it's the matrix. You get plugged in. You're driving a helicopter all of a sudden. Uh, you know, the, my wife's in human development too, and she talks about this moment in brain development. Uh, at the very young ages. And I, we go through a couple of those stages where our brain becomes pretty as, elastic, plastic, they'd say, where you're capable of interpreting new information into the way that that you, you think. And uh, 
those very early ages, they are making so many brain connections that to learn something like drawing it, you know, it might not be that difficult, <laughs> but we just had to pursue it so doggedly that, yes, you know, that we're still pursuing it, that it's, it's a struggle. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I would love to talk to, I don't have any friends who grew up with someone um, encouraging well, and that I know about, I'm sure there are people I know, that, but of people I know about, I don't, who grew up with like uh, encouraging aunts or parents, or like you said, your mom could draw, but if she's not sitting there with you drawing three, four, five nights a week, yeah, then that's then that's different. Like I would like to meet an artist my age who grew up in a house full of artists who encouraged and taught them. Like, at what level is that? Like, that's a Pepe Larraz, which. To me, I mean that—that that is a—that's a Stuart Eman, and that is someone who, like, I'm not saying those guys had that. I'm saying that's how good I think you would have to—you would have to have someone every day teaching you something new to reach these levels that I—I I don't understand. You know, it's a really good special. Is um, it's on PBS Masters, and it's Andrew Wyeth, and his father was N.C. Wyeth. And Andrew Wyeth got to be really renowned in the fine arts. And he did watercolors that, I mean, if you looked at him, there's, there's so, they're so good. They're amazingly good. And I'm sure you've seen everyone who's taken any sort of art history have seen this guy's work. And his father was extremely gifted. I mean, amazingly talented, just phenomenal. But he never, he always wanted to be considered a fine artist and he was only considered to be an illustrator. And he had illustrated things like um, uh, Treasure Planet, or not Treasure Planet, sorry. That's the 7.3% right there. Treasure Island. Uh, I think he died in the very early 1900s. But his life was just so amazingly, Andrew's life was so amazingly geared to being an illustrator. And I think all of his siblings too, and I'm, I don't remember all of their names, but Andrew was the most successful out of all of them. He, he just, the, this PBS um, story tells about the influence that his dad had and he had these rooms where he would collect all this reference that he would use for his own illustrations or he'd hire models and, and his whole life was around painting. And so you would see Andrew really, you know, just walked into it and like sat into it. This just happened to him just to become an illustrator right. and is exceptional. He's amazing. And I wonder what kind of things that he was able to, achieve at such a young age that when I sit down to draw that I am still thinking about, like I'm still thinking about the, the, the relation between a shoulder and the head and this. And I, I wonder if for him, he was just, I know anatomy. I know this, I know that now I get to experiment beyond those realms. I don't know yeah. how to articulate that better, but yeah, it's gotta be really nice to have somebody who's invested enough time to help you, at a young age, clear those obstacles that, yeah. that make drawing so hard. Yeah, it becomes subconscious, like walking or talking or anything. It's just something you're you're absorbed into as you grow up. Uh, all right, so uh, uh, wrap it up with it. Who who should I be digging now? I do. You probably know the guys. 
that I really like. And I grabbed this guy's book because it was on my thing and I can never say his name, but Victor Valkachev. Oh yeah. I have a print of his in the studio. Oh man. For right now, this guy, I am just dying over this guy's artwork. It's just so yeah. exceptionally good. He has this sort of quality where it's effortless. Oh, I, I don't, I don't know if it's effortless, but like, it seems exaggerated and yet at the same time, very yeah structured. It He draws in the way that I wish that I could just sit down and draw. It's frustrating. I really, really love that guy's work. Another artist is Corey Loftus. You're probably familiar with. He's a concept artist for Disney. He worked on all, all kinds of stuff like Pixar's, or maybe it's only Disney, Wreck-It Ralph. He's all over the place. I think he did all the character design and stuff for Zootopia. Okay. That's kind of all furry stuff. I don't know if that's the greatest stuff to like send you on a search for, but... Oh, I'm sure, I, I'm sure Listener is a furry. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's when... Uh, to to kind of go full circle because i'm kind of losing it on the 13 and a half percent wine uh yeah when i was in art school and i wanted to go 2d animation and then there wasn't that so it's 3d animation what i really loved and i assume it might be the same for you was when i came out of that i'm like i either want to storyboard or i want to do character designs i want to do story bibles you know i want to i and obviously no one wants to do in-betweens no one wants to do cleanups no one wants to be the grunt of it. Everyone wants to be the creator of it. But uh, as I get older, I realize there's no way I would ever be talented enough to be a character designer because that's the that's the cream of the crop as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but also, I could do storyboards because they got to be done fast. That would be yeah. the only that's the only way I could be able to be a storyboard guy is when push comes to shove, especially if the money's there. I can work fast as shit. So that's always been. Because also no one gives a shit. Four people are going to see your storyboards or, you know, uh, you know, not, I shouldn't say four. No one at the end results going to see your shitty storyboards. So I feel like I could be a shitty storyboard guy. Um, I couldn't be a good storyboard guy because his name's Gabriel Hardman. Uh, but uh, I forget what I'm into. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, that, that made me think about that. Like the character designers really kind of are the best dudes. I mean, they're not the best sequential artists, but as far as like, as far as I get to live in the best life ever, a dude who can just create and do weird shit all day and just draw some turnarounds or sketches, you know, I, I love that. Oh, you know, also too, is that the film industry is committed to just trying to duplicate the things that they create instead of going through that whole, how do I make a person happy? Everyone's like, we just like what you do. And how about, we make a movie with the stuff that you do. That sounds beautiful to me. Yeah, I'm into it. I mean, they're all better than me, but that's kind of like a. It's, they're different than you. They're occasionally. Than you. Occasionally, though, I'm ha I'm happy that the industry is trending that way because, even though I had maybe a very very tiny part of it, I maybe I helped pave the way for some kid to not have to struggle for 20 years or for 15 years or like, I don't really get jealous. I mean, maybe if I actually, someone came up and told me like, you didn't get that job because we gave it to this 20 year old who 
learned how to color through a YouTube tutorial, you know, sure. and they're going to get the job and not you, then maybe I'd be a little fucking the, the old man in me would be grumpy, but the old man in me now, I love seeing these young kids like, because I've stopped trying to compare myself to them. And I think that that also comes with age is like, I'm never going to be like a character designer who could think of some of this weird shit that I love. This just never comes into my brain. I could never do that. Uh, but I'm no longer competitive with any of that. I'm just happy. I'm happy everybody's getting theirs. And if I can get a piece of it, I'm fine. You know, yeah. We create our own happiness, really. And it, if it's career oriented, then it, it gets really hard to to maintain. Also, when you meet these people that that uh, that I aspire to, I've met uh, Corey Loftus in person, and I think he's amazing. I'm keen on Corey Loftus, but when I went to this place, it was just like a bunch of dudes that looked just like me, being very eager to meet this guy. And it's like the pinnacle of success is a bunch of like fucking dudes that are. Uh, the fawning over you. I mean, yeah, you're, you're technically really amazing, sir, but is it the famous that people want to be? I don't know. I don't know if I would want to be as famous for something like uh, being a character designer. I, I don't know if I could handle that, that celebrity, that particular genre of celebrities fans very well. I think that would be, trying on my on me personally <laughs> yeah <laughs> they might be a little needy uh all right also i love that i can hear your dogs barking because it just it, it it's it's par for the course you're feeling a need that this that i i don't have dogs so if there's not a dog barking <laughs> during the episode people wouldn't know listener wouldn't know what to do with themselves that's not my so, dog my dog has a breathing problem you would definitely hear her if she was around <laughs> some that's the other healthy vocal dog in the neighborhood i have the door open i was um living uh carefree in the moment yeah i'm sorry to hear about your dog um all right so uh what do you if you're gonna rate that beer on a scale of zero to five and we do halves what would you think it is zero to five yeah you know Nothing's ever two drinks in the history of this podcast have gotten fives, so we don't just give them away. Yeah, really, yeah. really. I feel you. I mean, from ball, it's they put a lot into this. They put enough into it to be a five, but I'm not that generous a person. I will say, how about for IPAs? It's a four point five. There you go. It's, it is it, a very, it's a very good. Uh, modern ipa you know the reason i picked an ipa is that if i had gone with my normal drink which <laughs> is really cheap i would probably have like six or seven yeah you know, so <laughs> that's yeah uh, this bottle of wine's almost gone though um yeah it's a good beer uh the the Schmeitzer gerwish traminer i can't pronounce it it's good. It has a like I said that's that little smoky and normally I don't like smoke like I don't like scotch. I don't like I don't love smoke in my drink. Um good scotch is is fine. But it's probably not it's it's not it's not a woody flavor. It's not a smoky flavor. It's a flavor that I can't properly discern or explain cuz it is very fragrant, but I I mean shit. 
I only saved the bottom of the bottle so that my wife could try it. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have almost killed this whole bottle. So it's very drinkable. Uh, and I don't think it's as sweet as some people think. So maybe some people, maybe my threshold's different, but like this isn't that sweet. It's it must not tart. be a dessert wine because those dessert wines, you know. Yeah, this is more tart than sweet. Kind of like this podcast. Uh, I would give this uh, easily a four. But it's better than my $3 bottles of wine. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but don't tell Baybridge that because I'm still waiting for the sponsorship. <laughs> my lips are sealed. That's right. Uh, all right. Was there something we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on? Uh, do you want to give out some social media? Is there some something you... You don't post as much on social media as I thought you did. And you know what? I recently I, I, gone through a change. I went through a phase and... I've been doing a lot of work, and when I get to the point where I'm going to post it, I just I feel so lackluster all of a sudden. You know, I don't know if I'm going to show up on anybody's feed. I don't know. I just got kind of, uh, you know, social media is just doesn't have this flair that it used to where I would share stuff and people, I don't know. It just got weird. It just got weird recently. Maybe I'll start posting some some stuff. I, I do drawings all the time. I'm constantly, constantly just, just. Yeah. I fucking, I literally the other day almost bought a sketchbook because of you. Do but it. I didn't. I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I have some, I have some school journals. I have some black and white school journals. I got those. You know, yeah, I I just, have, I've been working on commissions lately, so it's kind of hard to post somebody's commission, you know, maybe yeah. that's what it is more than anything else. I've been doing a lot of work for for work and then a lot of commissions outside. So maybe I'll post some more. But uh, social media is Ryan underscore Libby for Instagram. And that's the majority of where you could catch all of my work. There's years and years and years of stuff down in the feed. I think I'll start posting more. I have a second issue of Baxter written by... Uh, my friend and the writer, Sam Kissinger. Um, and I'm hoping to have the second issue printed and ready for May's uh, Acme Expo. It's a great event, I hear. Man, I just put myself on the line to color 14 pages. So 14? <laughs> you, can, you can do that by next weekend. You could do that by next weekend. <laughs> uh yeah, so your self-published comic is Baxter. Uh, where can they get the first issue of that? Um, you know, the first issue is something that you should definitely stop by the Acme Expo and pick up because it will be there. Um, I should open up a uh, store front and sell those. And I think by the time the second issue is up, there will be some, some sort of link that you can follow through my Instagram to pick up both issues. All right. And that's Ryan spelled the correct way. And... L-I-E-B-E. -E. That's right. That's right. I don't um, know if that's spelled the correct way, but that's how we spell it. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you're easy to Google, so everyone should do it. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for pitching in. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, normally, we would have done this in person, but my back is a goddamn train wreck. I'm fine now. The second I try to stand up, it's going to be a shit show. Um, skateboarding, man. You got to get that shit up. No, it's not skating. It's it's working on a kid's car, which 
I got to do tomorrow as well, but uh, I think I'm just going to supervise tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, thanks for hanging out, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, hang on. Nope, can't do that. I'll edit this out. Don't worry about that. All right. I think if I hit in broadcast, it hangs up on you. Okay. So I'm not so I'm not gonna do that. But yeah, thanks for hanging out, dude. That was good. That was a lot of fun, man. I was yeah. I got my stride after somewhere halfway through the second beer, and then I lost yeah. it right in the first sips of the dude. So like last uh so Scott and I haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks. He's been having a rough couple of weeks. Uh but last time we did it. I fucking took a huge hit off my wife's uh, resin vape. And uh, I just giggled through the whole thing. I fucking lost it. Like the, I have an edible in me now, but it's, it doesn't count. It's only five milligrams. But, like if, if I get too high or whatever, like I can't remember these just words. Like I couldn't remember like paper. Like I'm terrible on this podcast when I get high, you know, like I just, uh, but the last podcast, all I did was giggle throughout it. Cause I was super I, high. I made, extreme i took extreme efforts not just get high before this because I, I knew that would happen to me well i like, knew you said you, you're saying like you're not going to carry it but of course you carry it you're a talker you're a guy you're you're a dude who does it you know there was, a, there, there was a moment where i was like about to rip this thing when i was setting this area up and then like no this is gonna that would fuck this shit all up <laughs> Yeah, I would love. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to. Uh, What's well, famous? It's pretty famous. It's called uh, Spit and Chicklets, and they get a. It's hockey based, but they get a lot of former players on, and those former players just rip coaches and other players they played with because I mean they're not working anymore, and like I can't wait for like in ten years or fifteen years to be able to do a podcast with dudes who got out of comics, and we can just fucking rail on. Yeah, like how problematic the process was. Like, like, like right now, I'm still like Warner Brothers, DC, but basically Warner Brothers, one of the biggest companies in the world. They still owe me like money. Like, I'm they're not caught up on what I'm owed, you know. Like, so those kind of stories of like, oh, I was coloring, like, I would love to talk to someone who worked on Batman, and they'll be like, oh, when I worked on Batman, my pay was fucked up, editor was absent, you know, like. Like DC shuts down from the December 15th until January 3rd. DC just closed their offices, but didn't. I never got an email saying you won't get paid again in December. That's amazing. It, they just That's skip amazing. a pay week. They skip a pay week. So you, instead of getting paid every other week, it was a three week gap between paychecks. But I never got an email saying expect, expect to not get paid this day. You know, That's and then super offensive. You know, if you ever want. You should contact Brett because that guy has nothing but bullshit stories with DC and with Warner Brothers. Yeah, see, the, he's the kind of guy you can go on and like he doesn't worry about burning bridges. Where that's still a very real concern for me and Scott. But yeah, so you had a busy weekend. Well, I raked some leaves and I took down our Christmas lights. I'm working on this commission for this guy that is a founder of our company and he has a rap label. Have I told, I told you about this, haven't I? No, he's a rapper. And so I've been working on his cover and it was like really vague in the beginning. I listened to his song. It was all right. And then 
I started making look, his cover. Does he look like me and is a rapper, or does he look? Yeah, like he's he got red rapper? hair. He's he, yeah, no. he's a white dude. And Are so you serious? Work, yeah, no man. I'll, I'll show it to you. I can share a screen, right? Oh, I can. Let me let me pull this thing up. I'll show you. Oh, uh, I can share a screen. I don't know what your controls look like. There might I be a share, share button. A screen, at the it says it says I can do it. So I've been working on this guy's cover, and um, he is rich and eccentric. And uh, this is this is what it was. Hang on, let me open this door so the cats and my wife have access to this house. Hang on. We're just shooting shit now. We're done. What? I'm not bad mouthing people. All right, did it not work? No, it's good. Uh. Uh, get my window. Oh, you know what? Hang on a second. If I hang up on you, uh, dial right back in. Okay. 